There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sports. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Yeah, good to have you on board. Welcome back to The Grill. Uh, we are back here at Barasti. We're back outside up here on the rooftop bar. So please do make sure you come down and join us live at the venue. If you're in the vicinity, do make your way down to Barasti where you can, of course, uh, get uh, take advantage of all sorts of uh, food and beverage promotions during the hours of The Grill. What's coming up over the next three hours? We have got top 14 action for you. The Gallagher Premiership returns. We'll have details and the big games to look forward to today and tomorrow after the season opener yesterday. There's an early, early kickoff in the Premier League. We'll have team news for you on that one. There's an early kickoff in the Championship. There's an early kickoff over in Spain. Barcelona in action as we speak. And we'll look ahead to other big clashes across Europe. India against South Africa. Third test is underway, as are the ICC men's T20 qualifiers right here in the UAE. It's the Open de France in golf and the CJ Cup over in the States. It's the ATP European Open and the Kremlin Cup in the world of tennis and those are just a few of the live events that we'll be talking about between now and six o'clock but one sporting event is making all the headlines it is of course the Rugby World Cup and we're into the quarterfinal stages we know one name that has made its way through to the semi-final stages already we'll tell you about that in just a few moments time and we're just waiting to see who they will meet in next week's semi-final this is the grill we're broadcasting live from Barasti where the game is always on this is The Grill. On Dubai Eye 103.8. So, Grill, uh, how do you get in touch with The Grill? You come on down to Barasti and be part of proceedings down here. Uh, equally, if you can't make it down here to Barasti, if you are coming down to Barasti, then do come and see us. We're up here on the rooftop bar. If you come down during the hours of The Grill, promotions behind the bar are much, much more. But if you can't make it down here, do stay in touch online at Dubai Eye Sport, uh, at Dubai Eye 1038 FM. Uh, all the individual handles, and of course, you can text us at any point on 400. One. Want to find out what Barasti have got in store for you, not just today, but throughout the season, then it's at Barasti Beach to stay on top of all developments there. Grill panel in place, albeit uh, taking a little bit of refuge uh, under uh, the solitary umbrella up here. Uh, Carlos van Rosenfeld and Danny Norton will be working you through uh, some of the big sports stories of the weekend. Uh, let's start with you, CVR, because it's a big day for you, our resident rugby expert, uh, and the quarterfinals always throw up some sort of stories. Absolutely, Tom. Very good afternoon to our listeners. And as you say, what afternoon it's been. The English Rose continues with its conquest to win the 2019 William Webb Ellis Trophy. And what a display by the English this morning. Beating Australia 40 points to 16. Johnny May in his 50th Test match going over twice. And Carl Sinclair, uh, uh, a friend of the show, of course, a try that he will speak about for years and years to come. Currently, we've got New Zealand live against Ireland. Even Rory McIlroy being live at the game cannot save the Irish. New Zealand are leading this one 22 points to zero. 39 minutes played and it's been an absolute black cloud the whole way. Two tries from Aaron Smith and a solitary try from Baden Barrett. The All Blacks have been on fire. We will talk more about all things uh, All Blacks against Ireland which is ongoing at the moment. Second of two games at, today, at the Rugby World Cup today. Uh, but lest we forget there is other sport going on at the moment. Uh, Danny, what? We're just moments away from kickoff in the Premier League. We certainly are. We've got a fascinating game to kick things off uh, over in England. Everton hosting West Ham and Goodison Park is quite an unhappy place at this moment in time. The Blues are down in the relegation zone and the pressure is building on their manager Marco Silva. I think really 
if they are to lose today, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the last game that Marco Silva takes charge of the Toffees for. And you know, they've lost the last four, so they are in desperate need of some points to move out of that drop zone. West Ham not been in the best form over the last couple of games, really, so they're looking at this as a good opportunity for them to, uh, to kick-start their season after what was a positive start to the campaign. Plenty of other exciting football, though, for us to keep an eye on over the next few hours. Like you say, Ibar hosting Barcelona. Ibar, one of the smallest grounds, only 7,000 capacity, but one of the most difficult ones to go to in La Liga. But you would, of course, expect Barcelona to uh, get the three points there to move temporarily, at least, to the top of the table. And plenty of games to look forward to in the Premier League later on. Tottenham against Watford is a particular highlight for me, as is Wolves, Southampton. And then, of course, later on tonight, Crystal Palace hosting Manchester City. All the pressure on the champions to make sure they don't fall further behind the league leaders, Liverpool, ahead of their massive game against Manchester United tomorrow. Plenty to discuss, plenty to talk about. And as always, asking you to have your say as well. Text us on 4001. Uh, we're back outside down here at Barasti. Uh, I don't know if it's got the thumbs up of approval from Carlos von Rosenfeld. He's just been moaning since he arrived. Pretty hot out here, Tom, as, I, as I've got to say. You've got to be very dedicated. You're in the desert, man, all right? Absolutely. But you know, Matt, it's mid-October. <laughs> Definitely is mid-October. Mid-October with a bit of a difference, but fantastic atmosphere out here. Everybody's got their shirts off, except Tom O'Quarr. Give him an hour, I'm sure he'll have his shirt off too. No chance, and as you mate. say, everybody in a very festive atmosphere as uh, we've got Ireland against New Zealand on the big screen at the moment, Tom. Really good crowd down here at Barasti. Uh, and that ain't... Uh, it doesn't finish with the Rugby World Cup today yet. We might be in the second of two games in the Rugby World Cup. But straight after this game, Barasti will be turning their attention to all things Premier League. Everton against West Ham will be on the big screen down here as well and good to see big crowds out around town supporting the Rugby World Cup it, it brings out a different kind of crowd doesn't it absolutely Tom I think you know everybody's been very festive I was at another venue this morning absolutely jam-packed for England against Australia and uh, as you say it's knockout stages now one game can 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 determine a team's fate and uh, as I said so far the World Cup's been going, I would say, according to what everybody's been predicting, of course, for except the, the Ireland-Japan upset. But as you say, fantastic atmosphere, the whole crowd getting out, getting behind the teams, and fantastic to see people walking around with the, the jerseys of the rep representative countries. Yeah, if you would like to send us your thoughts on the Rugby World Cup, did you watch the England against Australia game earlier on today? You're watching this game at the moment. Uh, you're looking for somewhere to watch your Rugby World Cup. Get yourself down to Barasti. And Carlos, I've got to say a big thank you uh, to you for being with us here because uh, we were going to get in touch with you around uh, about this time last week, but I understand that uh, you were running a little race, is that right? Yeah, correct, correct. Last week did the Chicago Marathon. and uh, As one does. Yeah, as one does, back from that. But Tom, you can give me a call in two weeks' time. I'll be in New York finishing that one, and then uh, I've got the six majors under the belt, so yeah. Are you, going to be the, are you going to be the second man to run a, a sub-two-hour <laughs> marathon? Are you? Is, that, is that the aim? Is that what all these marathons are for? No chance, Danny. I think I was uh, a solid two hours, 12 minutes behind Kipchoge uh, in, in, in Chicago. And, uh, you know, we speak about that this week. What an unbelievable feat by Elliot Kipchoge. A first man to go under two hours for 26.2 miles. Absolutely fantastic. But, Tom, Chicago, great, great race. We, we had some good weather, so... A fantastic afternoon out. So this is what? Part of a challenge that you've set yourself, is that right? Yeah, so you've got the Six Masters, which, which they call the Six Masters Marathon, which is Tokyo, Berlin, Chicago, New York, uh, Boston and, uh, that, and London, of course. I've completed five now, so uh, in two weeks' time is New York on the 3rd of November. Will be my sixth. You get a special little medal for it, and then I would have completed the Six Masters. So that was the goal from the start. So what after that then? 
I don't know, Tom. Uh, I guess I've got to do my own, own marathon in Cape Town, which is the two oceans, slightly further, 56 kilometres, but uh, I'll face that time when it comes. You cross that bridge when you get to it, that's for sure. But in terms of conditions that you ran in last weekend, nigh on perfect, was it a good one? Yeah, absolutely. A bit, bit cold at the start, and then, of course, you know, the, the wind chill factor coming through a part of the race. But generally, you can't complain, Tom. You know, when, the, when temperatures are between 8 to, to 14 degrees, it's pretty, pretty much perfect. As I say, a bit of wind at part of the races, but we seriously can't complain. And, and just to prove that I can't complain, of course, the women's world record was broken. 16 years that world record was held by Paula Radcliffe, and of course it was broken by the young Kenyan, the 25-year-old. So, as I say, fantastic race day and, and world records all around. What was the atmosphere like there as well? What's the atmosphere being like across all the different races that you've done? Obviously, we know I've covered the one here, the Standard Chartered Dubai Marathon. Obviously, tremendous uh, atmosphere on the day there. How do they compare across the world? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we were about 48,000 people strong running the race in Chicago, a, a big city. You know, the, the, the crowds really, really got out on the streets and the support was fantastic. But I've been asked this question a couple of times, and to me, the one to beat me personally was still London. I think the atmosphere in London is absolutely phenomenal. You know, you've got, you got five deep crowds from the start in Greenwich till the end in St. James's Park, and from a support perspective, to me personally, that's still the best one I've run. It's fascinating that you mentioned that as well, because obviously our ARN colleague, Big Rossi, ran the London Marathon earlier this year after having never run more than 10 kilometres in, in one go before then. And he said actually as well that he had this big plan out there, he had a big playlist that he'd set up to kind of power him through. He said after two kilometres, he thought, I don't even need my headphones here. He took them out and just literally rode the wave of support all the way around the 42 kilometres. Yeah, I think the fantastic thing about anybody staying in London during that day, they all think they're DJ, so they get out on their porches, they get, they get their decks out, they start commentating and shouting over the microphones. There's this, this, this one area of the race where you go under this bridge and they've got all these African bongo drums going. So it really, really is a fantastic atmosphere, of course, right till the finish in front of Buckingham Palace. So yeah, I've got to give it to, to the Brits. They really come out and, and support. Saying that, we had good support in Chicago, but to me, nothing you can compare to, to the London Marathon. It, it really is unbelievable what the crowd does in the day. And have you guys been starting your 30 by 30 as well? Have you been uh, getting out and about active, Tom? Uh, I'll pass on that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did walk the dog yesterday, though, so I think that counts. That qualifies. Any, any 30 minutes that you do as well. Honestly, a great initiative by, by Dubai Tourism and, and, and the whole of Dubai. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the palm and just seeing the people getting out on the track. I was out yesterday morning a little bit, been a little bit sore, but uh, getting my 30 minutes of exercise in. And I really think it's a fantastic initiative. Getting the city moving, you know, and all these fantastic zones that they've set up around the city is absolutely fantastic. So really looking forward to the month of 30 by 30. I think just doing a shift on the on the grill yeah. of a Saturday afternoon <laughs> it constitutes uh, your 30 by 30. Especially uh, in this weather. <laughs> because you're getting a bit of a sweat on, aren't you? You're sweating them out. So, uh, yeah, it is part of the challenge. But the Dubai Fitness Challenge is upon us. It started yesterday with a bang, expecting some big news and some big stars turning out to support Dubai Football Challenge, Fitness Challenge over the course of the next four weeks. Uh, and, of course, uh, there is other news for us to bring, uh, which if you didn't hear uh, on... Um, uh, off script uh, on Thursday afternoon, our friend and colleague and uh, regular grill panellist, Mr Chris McCarty, who in previous roles has been the head of sport for Dubai in 3.8, has added to the McCarty clan, correct? Absolutely, a beautiful little young girl. Uh, I messaged him on uh, on Friday night. A big congratulations, of course, to the McCartys, to Chris and his, and his wife Zoe and the little one. Unfortunately, I couldn't get the name at a Friday evening when I messaged him. He said that they haven't decided on a name yet, so I'm not too sure if she's been named by uh, Saturday today. But as you say, Tom, a big moment in the man's life and, uh, and a big congratulations to them and wish them all the happiness with a new addition to the family. Are we expecting a sport-related name, do you think? Do you think Chris holds that much sway in the relationship? 
It's a girl, isn't it? Yeah, girl, it's Sally yeah. Ferguson, maybe. <laughs> Being a Man U supporter. <laughs> Fergie. <laughs> Fergie, makes sense. <laughs> Fergie McCarty. <Yeah. laughs> oh, it's great news for them, though, isn't it, anyway? So, uh, yeah, congratulations as well to uh, Chris and Zoe. Yeah, well done to uh, they, indeed. I must, though, say... Um, I am a little bit disappointed that he turned down a grill shift today. You know, I did put it out there, say, please come on down and, you know, watch the early kickoff with us and things like that. Talk about Manchester United. For some reason, he's got his priorities all wrong and he said no, he wanted to stay at home with his newborn. I agree. He's, he's changed, Tom. He's really changed. Changed, really changed. Uh, right, let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, we will have build up ahead of the uh, early kickoff in the Premier League. Everton against West Ham coming away shortly. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. Well, half-time in the big game of the day. Rugby World Cup quarterfinals are upon us. We know that England have booked their place in the semi-final. Who will they be meeting in that semi-final? It's going to be one of the two teams that are currently playing at the moment, New Zealand and Ireland. It's half-time, and already we've had drama in the first half. We'll tell you what happened, but a stirring rendition of the haka at the beginning of things. But let's just have a listen to this as well, because the Irish fans, the significant travelling Irish fans, weren't to be outdone with their singing during the haka. A very significant hacker and a very loud Fields of Athenae as well from the uh, travelling Irish. It set the tone, however, the team haven't been able... I mean, you've been watching on with interest this one, Carlos. Uh, is it the fact that New Zealand have just been too good today or is it the fact the Irish haven't come to the party? No, I think it's just New Zealand have been too good, Tom. You know, uh, the, the way New Zealand execute themselves on the field. And if you want to beat New Zealand, you've got to play for 82 minutes and you can't make any mistakes and you've got to be intense for 82 minutes because... New Zealand have got the ability that if you sleep or, or, or drop concentration for two minutes, they score 14 points. And today, they've just been absolutely fantastic. Uh, two tries from Aaron Smith, a try from Baden Barrett, and they've just been phenomenal. Their loose forwards have been playing well. Karen Reed has been taking it up. And as I said, they've just been executing everything they've done to precision. And looking at them now, Tom, 22, uh, 22 points to zero up at halftime against the Irish. They're going to be a very, very tough team to beat in the World Cup. Indeed they are. They've been impressive, Danny. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's I couldn't agree more with what uh, CVRs has said there. It's more about the fact that the All Blacks are just imperious. And you've got to remember as well that we go into this game with the Irish having beaten the All Blacks in two of their last three outings. But when it really matters at the World Cup in the quarterfinal knockout stage, there's just no matching the All Blacks. I mean, obviously, I think the thing with Ireland as well, interesting to get the thoughts of you guys on this, is I think they peaked at a year too early. Obviously, they've not been in the best form heading into the tournament. I think expectations have been lower than they would have been 12 months ago. And they've just been blown away in the first half. I think the one thing to give yourself a chance against the All Blacks is you have to start well and ideally be the first team to get points on the board just to give yourself something to hold on to, something to battle for. Because when you find yourself, you know, 20 plus points down on the second half time the question now for me is what does Joe Schmidt what's he said to them at half time what do you say in that kind of situation when you're basically got an impossible task ahead of you pack your bags boys we're taking the early flights out of here but to be honest with you Danny I think you know you know at the moment in time Joe Schmidt's game plan is not working to your point I tend to agree with you I think the Irish had such a great run before coming into the World Cup and 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 I, they kind of been caught out by teams you know I also feel Connor Murray and Jonathan Sexton which is the core of course of that Irish team has not been playing too well and then of course Ben Diaki being suspended before this big big game is a big big blow to the Irish team so yeah they're struggling to find their rhythm at the moment I think the Irish just need to go down down to basics they need to try and keep the ball and starve New Zealand of the ball and, and because New Zealand have just been absolutely relentless and try and get a bit of points on the board build up a bit of composure get some phases going because they're really really struggling with their phase play at the moment New Zealand are not giving them any opportunity to play and to me Ireland I'll go back to a bit of 10 man rugby keep it amongst the forwards get a bit of momentum going and try and get some points on the board Is that the key then really just get on the ball first and foremost because a couple of points in the first half there where Ireland got a penalty within kicking distance and you were, you were there you were shouting out go for the post go for the post they didn't they opted to go, to go for the scrum try and get that try and it didn't work out for them so in case of just literally any chance you get even if it's just three points just get hold of them yeah to me it's knockout rugby we're playing in the World Cup every bit of points count and to me when you're building up points you're gathering momentum and then you, know, you don't become desperate we saw this morning against England against Australia Australia had two opportunities to take points it was an easy six points points in the bag all of a sudden the scoreline changes you don't have to become so desperate towards the end of the game and we saw Australia doing some silly things this morning where England capitalized on and scored off and I kind of feel the Irish have got themselves into a position now where they're going to become desperate they're going to go throw everything at it and New Zealand are too much of a smart team to do that they will capitalize on those mistakes and to me just increase the scoreline interesting as well isn't it because I think a lot of people will have looked at New Zealand during the group stages and said, look, there are a few flaws there. There are a few things that we can work on. And yet, they get to knockout stages now. It's this whole thing of building momentum into a tournament, which they're so good at. Absolutely, Tom. But I think, you know, a, a lot of people were saying, and if you look at the two teams to me that are really playing well, is England and, and New Zealand. One, they had, they had one less game to play, which I think has helped them. And two, if you look at the depth of this squad, everybody was crying out today, how can you not play Ben Smith? Uh, Sonny Bo Williams is on the bench. Um, you know, the, the likes of, of, of Ryan Crotty not making the starting lineup. It's, it's unheard of. Ryan Crotty would make any World Cup side. But I think that is the depth of the squad. That is, that is how well they're playing at the moment. And that is how Steve Hansen is really, really fine-tuning them. In. And it's absolutely showing. I mean, t -t today they've been, they they've been relentless. They've been absolutely relentless. They're hungry, hungry to play. Uh, uh, Anton Leonard Brown at first centre has been unbelievable. A lot of people have been questioning Steve Hansen's move on that. Bain and Barron on fullback has been firing on all cylinders. And as you say, at this moment in time, the momentum's with them. And of course, they've got that deep squad that they can build from. So things are really, really looking good for New Zealand. Let's turn our attention to the world of football. We'll be back to the rugby in just a few moments' time when they're back out on the field. Uh, and as always, have your say. Text us on 4000.
0-1. Or better still, come on down here to Brasti and be part of proceedings. Bit of early team news for you, uh, waiting for uh, confirmation of teams for the 6 o'clock. But Wolves are, we're told, assessing the fitness of Diogo Jota, uh, Romain Saiz, uh, Pedro Neto and Morgan Gibbs-White. Leander Dendonka should be available despite missing Belgium's recent games because of illness. Southampton Mancha, uh, manager uh, Ralph Hasenhutl uh, has hinted he's considering a recall for goalkeeper Alex McCarthy later on in place of Angus Gunn. Uh, Musa, Jembepo and Cedric are nearing a return from injuries, but Saturday's game will come a little too soon for both of those. Uh, team news we can bring you, though, is for the early kickoff in the Premier League. Uh, Everton against West Ham up in Liverpool. Let's get the latest from Danny Norton. OK, we can say there are five changes to that Everton side that lost to Burnley. Fullback Gibral Sidibe is handed his first Premier League start, replacing the suspended Seamus Coleman. Uh, Moise Keane, Dominic Calvert-Lewin are on the bench alongside Gilfie Sigurdsson, who really has been out of form for the Toffees. Fabian Delph isn't in the squad. He has a hamstring issue. There are two changes for West Ham. Declan Rice has recovered from that illness, which kept him out of England action in midweek. Snodgrass, Robert Snodgrass is back from a knock but only makes the bench while Aaron Cresswell misses out altogether. He's also had a been nursing a knock in the last few weeks so we'll start off with the home side uh, Everton, we've got Pickford in goal Sidibe and Digna, the fullbacks either side of Keane and Mina. Gomez and Davis are the two uh, sitting in front of them as Marco Silva sticks to this 4-2-3-1 formation that I personally know a lot of Evertonians are not fans of. And then interesting Interestingly, up top as well then, he's basically got four wingers on the field. Walcott, Awobi and Bernard, they'll be the three. I suppose you'd imagine they're going to be interlinking, interchanging positions behind Richarlison. Uh, for West Ham United, Roberto in goal, Fredericks and Masuaka um, and Masuku, who are the full-backs either side of Diop and Okbonga. Rice holding in front of them with Anderson, Noble, Lanzini and Fornals behind Haller up top. This one kicks off in around about five minutes' time and the Hammers, who've dropped down to eighth position after drawing with Bournemouth and losing to Crystal Palace. Um, I think they'll be looking at this game as a good opportunity, like I say, to get back on track for them. A good omen for them is the fact that both meetings last se season between the two sides went the away of the away team with Everton winning 2-0 in London. West Ham victorious 3-1 at Goodison Park. However, Evertonians, they can uh, look for some optimism by uh, assessing their overall Premier League record against the Irons. They've got 25 wins and scored 83 goals, which is their club record against a particular opponent. But like I said earlier on, the pressure is all on the manager, Marco Silva, but he says it's pressure that he is embracing. Press pressure is really good. It means you are in one club who wants to win. Uh, it means you are in one club with a big ambition. And this is the reality. Our position at the table is not good. Our last results are, aren't good enough. And we have to react. And uh, the pressure has to be good for us. And uh, just looking for, for the, the pressure and embracing the moment like is the reality in this moment. We can perform better. You can win the game. One month ago, before the international break, the first international break, we we were in the, the sixth position. We were in a good moment. Of course, after when you didn't achieve the results, the moment is not uh, good enough. We have to take the, the responsibility. Like you know, I'm always the, the, the first one, and it's good for for me to see and the, the, the players they take also because they know you are a, you are a group. You are not just one. You are Everton Football Club. You are all together in this situation, and all together we'll take. Uh, we'll turn the things uh, for us again and we'll start to get the, the points for to go for the position we want and to challenge uh, the goals we want in the, during this season.
Yeah, we haven't pressed the wrong button. We are appreciate that we are still five minutes away from the early kickoff in the Premier League in the Championship, but uh, underway over in Spain. Let's get the latest. Absolutely, Ibar hosting Barcelona, and it is the Barca, it is the Spanish giants, uh, the Spanish champions who have taken the lead. Antoine Griezmann, who's come in into the side in place of the suspended Ousmane Dembele. He's got the goal. It's the first shot on target. Uh, basically chased onto Clement Lenglet's long ball forward from the halfway line. He's in a foot race with Pablo de Blis, who slips and suddenly Griezmann is through on goal. Goalkeeper Marco Drimovic gets a touch onto his shot, but he can't keep it out as it goes in by the post. So 15 minutes gone, it is Ibar nil, Barcelona 1, as Barcelona look to temporarily at least return to the top of La Liga. They had quite a slow start, but clicked into gear in recent weeks with three wins on the bounce, including, of course, that 4-0 victory over Sevilla last time out. And uh, they are obviously playing at the Ipurua Municipal Stadium, which is absolutely tiny, only 7,000 seat capacity. It's amazing when you consider that and you, and you compare it to what Barcelona play in every other fortnight, which is essentially 99,000. So, you know, down to 7,000, but Barcelona not letting the unfamiliar surroundings put them off too much. They do lead 1-0 after 15 minutes. I just want to get your thoughts, if I may, Danny, going back to the Everton game, which kicks off in round about two, three minutes' time or so. Um, you obviously have the ear of a number of Everton fans. You've got mates that you call Everton fans. I don't know if they can be close mates, given the fact that uh, of your allegiances and the other side of, of Merseyside, Merseyside. But um, what's the sort of thinking there at the moment? Because they've brought cleverly in recent seasons. When you look at that squad on paper... They should be doing better. Absolutely. I mean, the money they've spent in the last two summers, and like you say, the players they've brought in, I mean, there's never been any point at the end of the transfer windows of late where anyone has looked at it and thought, so Everton haven't done too well there. You know, I'm not sure on this player, not sure on that player. Basically, everyone they've brought in has been brought in with a bit of excitement, and they've really been looking as though they've been building something to really challenge the top four and to try and get into those Champions League places. But it just hasn't happened for them. And Marco Silva was really struggling to find that kind of that winning formula, that winning blend. I think one you know, particular problem for them has been that lack of goals. You know, they are one of the lowest scoring teams in the Premier League, just six goals so far from the eight games. And now you're getting the problem of some defensive shortcomings over the last few outings. But for me, like I say, it's, it's the main thing of not replacing still Romelu Lukaku. You know, they've got Richarlison starting as centre forward today. You know, he can do a job there but he's not really a centre-forward. It's not his best position. You're not getting the best out of the Brazilian star. And the team is suffering as a consequence. They've brought Moise Keane over from Juventus, but he's a young player just bedding into the Premier League, really. And the sooner they can find someone to really step forward and score goals for them, the better. And I think the other question mark that a lot of the Evertonians I've been speaking to have got is over the system. His, like, the fact that Marco Silva seems to be so wedded to this 4-2-3-1. And the question is, does it really suit the players that he's got especially if you're lacking goals as well it's nothing different that you can do to try and pose a bit of a different threat in some way so I'm surprised again to see that today it looks like he's setting his team out of once again that 4-2-3-1 and yeah, it's going to be desperate times today I really fear for his future if they were to lose at Goodison Park going to be an interesting one kicks off in round about 10 seconds time uh, so early in the Premier League early in the Championship underway as we speak at the moment the noise you can hear behind us though down here at Barasti is the big screen which is showing the rugby it's New Zealand against Ireland for a spot in the World Cup semis this is the grill live from Barasti where the game is always on
Well, let's get over to Old Misery Guts, uh, Carlos Van Rosenfeld over there, who's shrinking into the shade further and further away from us all. Could you see the big screen from out there, big fella? <laughs> absolutely, Tomo, absolutely. I'm actually sitting down. Uh, quite a big lad. Uh, Tomo, what I can tell you is 45 minutes played in the second quarter final of the Rugby World Cup in Japan. It's New Zealand leading Ireland, 22 points to zero. And I'll tell you what, New Zealand have been absolutely relentless as they keep peppering the Irish goal line. As I said, 45 minutes played, New Zealand 22, Ireland 0. Uh, just a quick reminder that there has been a goal, an early goal over in Spain, Danny. Absolutely, Ibar hosting Barcelona, and no surprise, it is Barcelona who've taken an early lead. Antoine Griezmann pouncing on 13 minutes with the first shot on target and scoring that goal. He chased onto Lengley's ball forward from the halfway line. He was in a foot race with Pablo de Blasis. He slipped though, so suddenly Griezmann had the uh, goal right in front of him. The goalkeeper for Ibar, Dimitrovich uh, managed to get a touch onto his uh, onto Griezmann's shot, the Frenchman, uh, the Frenchman's efforts, but he couldn't keep it out. It went in off the post. So we're about 20 minutes into this game now. It remains Ibar nil, Barcelona one. As the champions look to return to the La Liga summit. There is live uh, cricket for you as well. I'll keep an eye on that one for you throughout uh, the next couple of hours. One result to bring you: Papua New Guinea against Bermuda. A little earlier on here in Dubai. In fact, all these ICC uh, T20 World Cup qualifiers are taking place in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Uh, PNG against Pamudi was the early start uh, and Papua New Guinea winning that one emphatically. They're beating um, uh, Bermuda by 10 wickets. Bermuda were 89 all out from their 17 overs. Uh, Papua New Guinea getting the, knocking off the runs with 10 overs to spare. Currently underway, Netherlands against Namibia, Scotland against Kenya, Jersey against Nigeria. Netherlands are 134 for five with one over remaining from their 20. Scotland, they're 146 for the loss of five wickets with one and a bit overs remaining in their game against Kenya and Jersey are in action against Nigeria Jersey 170 for four with one over remaining Ireland take on the United Arab Emirates later on down in Abu Dhabi uh, let us return to the rugby because we do have to reflect on the games that went on a little earlier on today uh, we saw England taking on Australia in the first of the uh, quarterfinals for this year's Rugby World Cup big game it was an 11-15 kickoff big crowd down here at Barastia as there were in a number of venues around town uh, but it was the English who prevailed. Let's hear from the managers now. Let's start with uh, the losing manager Michael Checker. Both these managers just out of interest, uh, close mates uh, and former teammates as well so they know each other very very well and uh, let's hear what they had to say. Starting with Michael Checker and then straight after that Eddie Jones. Well I thought it was um well, we actually played quite well especially the early you know that first 50 or 60 Again, we gave away two intercepts. Um, and they defended well, like you've got a, uh, the, a better team one. That's, uh, that's the way it is, you know. You've got to suck that up sometimes. But uh, I was supposed to get this done for the people here, for Australians. And I'm so disappointed. So, what do you say to your team after this when you go back for the changing room? I don't know. We'll get there. And But, uh, you know, I think the lads put everything they had into it today. I want all the Aussies at home and that are here to know that. They gave it everything. They put their bodies on the line. Yeah, we made a few mistakes at different times, but they've given everything these lads over the last however long it is we've been together. And they're a credit to their country. I know that we're all very disappointed. And, um, yeah, I sort of don't have much else to say, to be honest. Yeah, well, the good news for us is we can still improve. You know, we weren't... Absolutely, uh, our best uh, 
Australia started the game fast, played superbly the first 20. We had to hang in there, hung in there, got a bit of momentum back and, and got the points when we needed. You know, I'm so pleased for the players that worked hard to get this result. The structure that you've put in there around your attack, where you've got so many different players in and behind, ready for Farrell or whomever to pass to, how much work has that taken? Yeah, no, the players are excellent in, in working that out. Scott Wiseman has done a great job with our, our attack and getting more options in our attack. Uh, I think you know, maybe at the start of the four years here we were a little bit too one-dimensional, but now we've got more options. Um, he's done a great job in that area. Now be truthful, you're going to watch the game tonight, who do you really want to play? Uh, we're, we're happy to play anyone, but obviously I've got a soft spot for New Zealand. You know, I'd love to play New Zealand in the semi-final, it be a great challenge for us. we looking forward to it, and what a great crowd tonight, fantastic. Well, barring one of the greatest comebacks of all time, I think that's pretty much on the cards, isn't it, CVR? Yeah, absolutely, Tom. I reckon at this moment in time, uh, um, Ireland have, sorry, New Zealand have just scored another try through Cody Taylor, the hooker. Fantastic offload by Kieran Reid. Taylor dives over, and uh, New Zealand now leading the Irish 29 points to zero. 50 minutes played in this game, and I think it's New Zealand all the way to the semi-finals. And of course, what a matchup that will be. A lot of people will call that the game of the tournament, England taking on New Zealand of course in next week's semi-final well at least that's the way it looks. I'll just reflect on a couple of comments there from the respective uh, managers obviously you watched the England-Australia match earlier as did millions the world over. Michael Checker there saying that his boys gave it everything. I don't think we can take anything away from them in terms of effort but some of the decision making during the 80. Yeah, I just felt that if you looked at the first 20 minutes of the game, to me, Australia had the upper hand on England. But at crucial times, they lost the ball, Tom. And you've got to question some of the offloads which they wanted to make. And to me, if, if, if Australia just hung on to that ball, took the points, it could have been... I, I still believe England would have won the game. I, I don't believe Australia had has got the team to beat them, but I think it could have been a much closer affair. And towards the end of that game, Australia wouldn't have become as desperate as what they were. So to me, just a bit of bad decision-making in the beginning from Australia. And to me, they just hung on to the ball. We would have seen a different outcome. But saying that, you know, you, you, you've got to give it to Eddie Jones and the England team. They really executed absolutely fantastic, very clinical today. That England, England lustre of, of Curry and Underhill, oh, my word. Oh, my word. They are... I think, what did he call them? I think fighter dogs or, or hounds or foxes or whatever he refers to them as. They were absolutely unbelievable. To me, Sam Underhill and, 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 and Tom Curry today were absolutely phenomenal and they disrupted so much of, of, of the Australian go-forward ball. And uh, as I say, Johnny May on the wing today had a fantastic game and a lot of people, of course, questioning England as we came into this quarter-final because we saw Farrell move from 12 to 10. We saw Ford go onto the bench. I feel very sorry for Ford. Of course, he's been having this fantastic tournament, but it seemed to have paid off today. Tuolagi led that attack line for them. And of course, in that 10-12 channel, which we knew, we knew Australia were going to attack, England were very, very strong in defence. So well done to the English. I'm not, I'm not convinced about this whole George, uh, George Ford thing because I know the media like to pick up on certain things. And they like to sort of see things differently. But the suggestion that George Ford was dropped was, was completely wrong in my mind. It's a tactical decision by Eddie Jones. The fact that George Ford was still on the bench and still had a very significant part to play in the last 20 minutes when the, the sort of shape changes for England. They come from being less expansive to more of a holding game as well. George Ford holds a, it, it plays an integral part of that with the, with the shift of Owen Farrell into the centre. So dropped, I, don't think, I think dropped is a bit negative, isn't it? Well, at the end of the day, Tom, just to add to what you're saying, it's a, it's a squad game nowadays. It's 23 players and uh, 
I guess a lot of people think, you know, if, if you don't wear the starting jersey, you, you may be second choice. But to add to what you're saying, and I think you're absolutely correct, if you look at rugby nowadays, it's a 23-man performance. And, you know, if you look at last year, last World Cup in 2015 when New Zealand won it, Baden Barrett was instrumental in them winning that World Cup. Even McKenzie coming off the bench, adding, and maybe that's what they're looking for from, from George Ford. So I just think Eddie Jones is a great tactician. He knew exactly what was needed to win this game. And he thought at the end of the day, starting with Farrell, playing to Olagi at 12, bringing Slade in at 13, from a defensive perspective, makes uh, England a lot stronger. And of course, from an attacking perspective, they've got to Olagi. And, and we saw how good he was today. To Olagi today, oh my word, what he did for the England getting over that vantage line. So yeah, well played England. I think it's going to be a humdinger come the semi-final win. England do take on New Zealand. Danny Norton impressed with what you've seen? Absolutely. I think England were very well balanced before. I mean, it kind of looked earlier on in the second half as though Australia were maybe kind of going to make a fight of it. They obviously got to within one point uh, after scoring the try, what, about five minutes into the second period, but then England immediately replied. And from then on, it always looked for me, certainly in the first half, as though England had more gears to go through, whereas Australia were kind of playing at the peak in a sense. And for me as well, the other thing you know, Carl alluded to before was the, the mistakes being made by Australia and the number of turnovers they made. And I'd say maybe they didn't make as many turnovers or necessarily a lot more turnovers than England, but it was the timing of them. There was a phase, I forget the player who, who, who kind of put it down, but Australia had about 18 phases in a row. We're getting close to the line and then kind of fumbled the ball when a try looked nigh on inevitable so those little things like that but for England very impressive but at the same time when you're watching the All Blacks at the moment you do have to wonder you know if you're Eddie Jones what are you looking at here what kind of weaknesses are you seeing in this All Black lineup it's but I think without a doubt though it's going to be a fantastic matchup next week but I'm not exactly confident from an English point of view We'll wait and see. A week is a long time in international rugby. And we've still got, what, the best part of 25 minutes or so left in this game as well. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that one for you. Uh, quick word on Billy Vinopola as well. You mentioned the other two rabid dogs at the back of the England pack, uh, Messrs, Curry and Underhill. But good to see Billy back. He's uh, had some injury problems in the past and he was impressive today. Makes such a big difference to the team. You know, he, he gives you that go-forward ball from the base of the scrum. He's a very, very, very smart player and he carries so well, Tom. And every time when England don't seem to be at the best is when Billy Vanipola doesn't play and he just brings that stability. He kind of just holds the fort while the other two youngsters run riot and tackle and everything in front of them. But to me, he was once again instrumental today. He really, really carries well. He's a, he's a strong, strong player and really reads the game well. So they've got to keep him fit. You know, for a semi-final against New Zealand, they'll need Vanipola for sure. Uh, let's take, uh, let's uh, listen for, into what the captains had to say after uh, that uh, victory for England a little earlier on against Australia. Uh, let's hear from the losing captain, Michael Hooper, uh, after the game. You know, we, um, we played an attacking style of rugby, um, which I think really threatened the English there today. I, I think, um, you know, what the English did really well is they controlled the restarts. You know, we weren't able to exit our, our area well. And on the flip side of that, we weren't able to restart and get back into the game the way we wanted. So um, congratulations to England, you know, on um, you know, a good win there. What are you going to say to your team after this and also your supporters and your families? Oh, um, you know, we're really upset. We, we emptied everything into this, um, you know, and we didn't get it, um, which is pretty gutting, you know, um, for a lot of reasons. I, I think, you know, firstly, there's a lot of our guys who are leaving. Secondly, we had a great supporter base over here to, to push us along and then we really felt along the way. So, um, you know, to not be able to do it for them and ourselves is, uh, is pretty gutting. 
those the thoughts of uh, Michael Hooper. He's been impressive. I mean, he's been impressive throughout his entire career. I mean, we talk about the rabid dogs at the back of the England pack. I mean, th those two men uh, on, the, on either flank for Australia have been extraordinarily impressive, not just throughout this tournament, but throughout their entire careers. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. I think he's been a great servant to Australia and, uh, and a fantastic captain too. I think, you know, it was just one of those tournaments, to me, Australia didn't quite go in with the, with the right approach. And what I, what I say about that is, from an admin perspective, there, there was a lot happening in Australian rugby. Of course, we know the whole uh, Israel Folau debacle. There was a bit of uncertainty about Michael Checker. And, you know, the, the, the chat goes on. So to me, from a preparation perspective, I always felt Australia weren't at their best before they even came into the tournament. But as you say, he, he's a man that wears his heart on his sleeve. He's a, he's a true, true warrior. He's been a fantastic servant to Australian rugby. But I think, you know, when your tight five are not getting on top of your opposition like happened today, to me, England's tight five were superb. You know, Vanapola Sinclair, I mean, he, he scored a try of a lifetime. He's speaking about that for years. And, uh, and the two lock forwards, Atoja, really showed what he's made of today. So Australia tight five were really struggling to get the better of England. And uh, Hooper, unfortunately, played very, very tight today. So, of course, we must surely didn't see the best of, of Michael Hooper. But as you say, a true servant of, of, of Australian rugby. And uh, he, he's just really, he's a great player. Pocock as well, retiring from international rugby as well. That's his last game for the Wallabies. Yeah, funny. He, he looks fitter and stronger than what he ever has. <laughs> he's, he's got veins popping out of his shoulders and arms. And I think a journalist actually commented on that a while back. But uh, yeah, he's, he's been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, they've been a great, great, great trio and great servants over the years. And sad to see him go, but all good things come to an end. And I think, you know, he can walk up with his head high. He's, he's, he's really contributed to the game in a significant way at super rugby level as well as international level and uh, he will go down as one of the Australian greats. Uh, so we heard from the Aussie uh, skipper there what about the England skipper Owen Farrell had a rather amazing game for England. Uh, his kicking boots certainly weren't on against Argentina they were very much on today against Australia. I thought Australia made that a brilliant game uh, they attacked throughout from minute 1 to 80 and uh, you know our boys did well in defence and then managed to get some field position off the back of it and uh, we know when we get some field position we can be pretty dangerous. And in the second half it looked like you tightened it up, it was all about the forwards and the kicking. Uh, we, did, we did what's needed, um, we, had, we had the lead and obviously Australia were throwing, were throwing everything at us again and uh, we wanted to play the game at our pace, uh, not theirs and thankfully we did that in the second half. And you must be happy yourself because your kicks were perfect tonight. Uh, a lot better than last time, yeah. And a message for your fans? No, the sport's been brilliant. Um, you know, it's a, it's a massive privilege to play for England and hopefully you see that when we play. It's, a, it's, a, it's brilliant to have these men behind us. And women, sorry. There will be concern for England fans and, and a quick word for the England fans who were out in force as they have been throughout the tournament. But good to see the costumes out and all the, the bonhomie, all the good, uh, the, the good, good nature banter that was going on in the stadium. But there will be concern, obviously, because it looks like they will play New Zealand in the semi-finals. However, you've got to beat New Zealand at some point, whether, whether, whether it be in the semi-final or, or, or by all expectations, the final in order to prove you're the best in the world, in order to prove your World Cup winners, you've got to beat New Zealand. You've got to beat New Zealand, Tom, as, as simple as that. And I think, you know, England at the moment in time, if I look at the teams in the World Cup, I think they're the best team to stand a chance of beating England. You know, uh, I think Eddie Jones summed it up perfectly in his post-match interview that he's looking forward to playing them. And I think on the day, England get it all right. They, 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 they will challenge New Zealand. Will they beat them? Well, that's a different story. But I do think that England have got a lot of momentum going with them at the moment in time. Their injuries, well, they'll have to assess it after the game. But if they can, you know, currently start with that starting lineup that they that they started with today, 
Uh, Farrell can kick as well as what he did because today his kicking boot was phenomenal. I think they will really give the All Blacks a challenge. But to beat the All Blacks, you've got to be an 80-minute team. You've got to smother them for 80 minutes. You've got to be on top of your game for 80 minutes because New Zealand are absolutely relentless. And you drop concentration with them for a minute, like we saw in that opening game against South Africa. South Africa gave them a sniff. I think it was for seven minutes and 14 points later. So, uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fantastic encounter in that semi-final and all for England to do. And I believe at the end of the day, England at this moment in time, if you look at form, is the team that can beat New Zealand. We will, uh, of course, be uh, all over that game for you next weekend. Uh, we are all over the games that are currently on at the moment down here at Barasti on the big screen, second half of New Zealand against Ireland and just no answers for Ireland at present. So we keep an eye on that throughout proceedings. What else is going on in the world uh, of uh, football? Well, we can tell you that there has been one of these. Yes, I can tell you that it's Everton 1, West Ham United 0 in the Premier League. It was made by the lively Theo Walcott, who had a shot just tipped away around the post just a matter of minutes uh, beforehand as well. He cut, he cut in field from the right-hand side, played a nice pass through to Bernard on the right side of the West Ham area, decided not to shoot, which initially looked like a poor decision, but instead cut it back inside the uh, West Ham defender Masawaku, then wriggled back outside Masawaku, and then from a very tight angle, poked the ball past the onrushing Roberto in the Hammers uh, goal in the Hammers goal there so poor goalkeeping from Roberto who's beaten on the inside but Bernard doesn't care at all they're a peculiar finish but Everton don't care they've taken the lead 1-0 Everton after 17 minutes missing Fabianski aren't they at the moment oh massively so massively so he, he's not going to be happy with that one at all as Roberto I means to be beaten on the near inside post something's got to have gone wrong there uh, we'll keep an eye on that one for you, as we will the other early kickoffs, one in the Championship and one over in Spain as well. But we're talking rugby and we're talking the uh, first of our two uh, quarter-finals uh, today with England uh, convincing winners against Australia. Can they get better? It is one of the questions that many will be asking if, it as it looks uh, expected to be, uh, they will face New Zealand for a place in the finals of this Rugby World Cup. Uh, that will be taking place next weekend. Uh, Carlos van Rosenfeld was watching this one for us a little earlier on today. Uh, I mentioned, you've mentioned a number of players, but in terms of players that impressed you for England throughout the game, well, I've got to give it to, to Tuolagi. I think, you know, he was instrumental in England getting over that vantage line. And we saw how, uh, <laughs> and saying that, Tom, New Zealand have scored again. They are running riot with the poor Irish. And uh, I think if you're Irish supporting, uh, Rory McElroy's in the crowd today. Shane Lowry's in the crowd today. But I think really they've gone off to practice some pats. Matt Todd has scored for New Zealand. New Zealand 34, Ireland 0, 61 minutes played in this quarterfinal. <laughs> the All Blacks are absolutely annihilating the poor Irish. Coming back to this morning's game, I think Tuolagi was absolutely instrumental. And then the two loose forwards, I really think they've been... And Underhill, to me, has been kind of the find of the season. This young Bath loose forward has, has, has really, really been a fantastic addition. And I think, you know, it's difficult to narrow down players. But to me, those three really, really stood out to me. And they really gave England that go forward that England really needed. And I think, especially Underhill and, uh, and, and Curry, when they play New Zealand in the semi-final, they will have to be on top of their games. Of course... They got uh, Eddie Sevier and, and, and Kane to contend with, so that's going to be a fantastic tussle. Uh, Tom Curry was, in fact, uh, named the Mastercard Man of the Match straight after the game. This is what he had to say for that. What we expected, really, you know, a tough physical encounter. You know, the breakdown was massive. Um, I thought, you know, our first half we probably weren't 100%, but, you know, that's the exciting thing. We worked throughout the match, got better as the game went on, so exciting times to come. 
What's your secret? Why are you so effective at the breakdown? Well, I just think, you know, as a team, uh, we, we had a real buy-in. Obviously, we knew their threats, uh, Pocock, Hooper, um, and other forwards around the breakdown. And, we, you know, we had a good team buy-in throughout the week, works, and, and it showed today. Now, you were involved, actually, in that first try. You gave the pass. Is that something you're going to ring up your mum and tell her? Did you see that? Sorry? Will you ring up your mum and say, did you see that? She's here, so hopefully I'll get to speak to her face-to-face. -face. OK, um, finally, a message for these fantastic English fans. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, it feels like a home game. We're, you know, we're 10, 11 hours away from England and, and it feels like Twickenham, so it's unbelievable to be out here. Uh, those are the thoughts of Tom Curry, who was named the man of the match after the game. Another thing that I noticed as well, uh, and Carlos, be interesting to get your thoughts. Uh, we've got John Mitchell, who's uh, on the uh, part of the uh, Eddie Jones' team as the defence coach. He must be very pleased with what he saw today, because a couple of times that Australia were threatening, but held up on the English line by just this blanket defence that they got, uh, to the point that Australia then started uh, spilling the ball, knock-ons, etc., and, and, and turnover of possession. But defensively, they're impressive. Yeah, everybody's loving John Mitchell and Eddie Jones, except the South Africans, because, of course, Eddie Jones <laughs> was supposed to coach the Stormers and John Mitchell originally from the Bulls. But, yeah, I think <laughs> looking at John Mitchell, we know what he, he, he can do. You know, he's, he's quite a disciplinarian when it comes to defence, and every team that he coaches, he's, I think the big thing is, Tom, from a, a, from a defensive perspective, England are very well organised. You know, they, they seem to, to get that line. They know when to push forward. They know when to hold back, and uh, uh, that, that really showed today. And I think... Bringing in Slade, which there were a lot of question marks, he seems to really organise that defence quite well. And to me, that 10 and 12 channel, we always knew that through Kubeta, the Australians were going to attack the 10 12 channel. I mean, to me, Farrell and, and, and Tuolagi really, really stopped anything that came their way. And then, of course, you got Underhill and, and Curry literally just destroying anything that breaks inside. And, and to me, that, 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 that really, really spoke high of, of, of England today. And that, that's going to be important when they play New Zealand. They're going to have to get that defensive structure 100%, communication 100%. But to me, one thing that's about the England team today everybody seemed to know their place there wasn't one player that seemed out of place or unsure what was happening and uh, I thought that really that really really helped them today execute interesting as well when I was looking at the team sheet and couldn't really disagree with anything on the team sheet the only sort of concern I had was the lack of a winger on the bench uh, as an option for England however thankfully both the wingers that started the game finished the game as well they were both impressive both try scorers uh, on the day itself um, I suppose that shows the sort of confidence of Eddie Jones that he's got some utility backs who can slot in if need be. Yeah, I think the wonderful thing with the England team at the moment is, you know, they're so versatile. You know, Elliot Daly can play wing, he can play fullback. Anthony Watson can play wing, he can play fullback. You've got Farrell that can play 10 and 12. You know, you've even got Slade that, that can slot in at fullback. So I think from a, 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 a versatile perspective, you don't really have to worry. You know, I think he chose the bench, bench for a reason and... Uh, if any players or wingers got injured, I always felt that he did have enough cover. But uh, saying that today, uh, a lot of England players did play well, but I was just happy to see Johnny May, of course, in his 50th international, scoring those two tries. And, uh, well, the boy's got gas in his tanker. He, he is tough to stop close to the line because he's so quick. And, uh, yeah, just, just great to see him... Uh, him getting those points in his 50th international. Uh, quick word on Michael Checker as well. Obviously, he's come in for a bit of criticism in the build-up uh, to this World Cup for a few uh, selection decisions uh, and, and Australia's poor performances before uh, the World Cup itself. Is that him done now? Do you think? I mean, yeah, will he stick around. No, I, I don't think so. I think Michael Checker's gone. I don't. I, I honestly don't feel he's the future of Australian rugby and. Uh, They'll have to have to look a bit deep as to as to what what they're after, and uh, I think they need they need a, a new guy at the at the head and uh, somebody with a bit of fresh ideas, somebody that can you know really 
kind of rejuvenate the whole Australian uh, Rugby Federation as such. So I think Checker will either resign or I believe he'll be fired and uh, I don't see him in the future of Australian rugby. Obviously, we've got two more quarterfinals to look forward to tomorrow as well. Uh, and your beloved South Africa in action against the hosts. Bit of history there. Yeah, needless to say, <laughs> we are a bit nervous. I can't believe I'm saying they're playing Japan. But, uh, you know, I think tomorrow, I'm not too sure of the world's population, but besides the 50-odd <laughs> million that live in South Africa and the team, I think the rest of the, the world will be against us. Uh, I think that uh, the, the, the home support will count hugely for, for Japan. But I think Russi and, and the boys will be well-geared. I think we have to smother them from the start. We're going to have to play the brutal South African 10-man rugby by just being brutal with these guys from the start, not giving them any chance because the minute the game goes open against, uh, against Japan, they're very, very dangerous. They're kind of like a seven-a-side team. So South Africa will have to smother them from the start. We'll have to be very assertive from the start. And, uh, and then I will see us uh, going into a semi-final. It's interesting. I mean, interesting you say that you can't believe that you're playing Japan. Uh, uh, again, history and fate uh, bring the two teams together. But let's take nothing away from Japan. They are deserving of that place in the, in the quarters. Absolutely. I mean, defeating both Ireland and Scotland in the group stage and deserving both wins either. Neither one of those victories were fortuitous. So, you know, they're there by merit, 100%. But I can't see another upset happening tomorrow, especially when you consider that, you know... South Africa are going to be having that result from four years ago right there at the front of their mind and going to be making sure that that does not happen again. I just can't see it. As, as, as wonderful as it might be for the game of rugby and, and for the tournament itself, sorry, Carl, to see Japan win, I just can't see it happening, really. The, I mean, I'm really looking forward to Wales-France, though. I mean, Wales have been obviously in good form during this, uh, this World Cup, obviously defeating Australia in the group stage. But there is a question mark. I think when you look at the quarter-final lineup, this is the game that had the biggest question mark over it for me in, you know, thinking, right, who's going to go through? Because you can make a case, I think, for both sides in this because Wales are obviously the more consistent side, but France, very inconsistent. But if it happens to be their day and turn up on their day, can no doubt get a result. Yeah, exactly that. And I've said from the off, I've said it in the past as well, I think France are big tournament teams. You know, Six Nations might become, you know, it's a bit here, it's a bit there, it's over a couple, of, you know, it's over a long time, etc. They love a big tournament. They sort of come together in a big tournament. They like the flair, they like the, 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 the ability to sort of build into that tournament. And as we've seen in the past, they've always performed on the, on the world stage. Yeah, I, I stuck my neck out on Thursday night. I was helping Robbie out on, uh, ex yeah. Yeah, on, on, on sports tonight. And I said, I, I think this is the one that, that, that I don't think will go according to predictions or forecast. I expect the, the French to, to upset uh, Wales tomorrow. I just, as you say, Tom, that they seem to be able to play tournament rugby and on the day they can produce the goods and uh, they had a very, very good game against, uh, against Argentina. Saying that, the Irish finally get over for a try. 68 minutes. I think it's Ringrose, the centre that dived over there. Of course, he fumbled the previous one just a couple of minutes before he fumbled the ball over the line. Irish scrum and uh, it is Ringrose that break through there. 34 points to 5. 68 minutes played and uh, as I say finally the Irish are on the scoreboard Can I just uh, take a, a quick moment if I may just before I go to the, to the break at the top of the hour um, our friend uh, Toby Gregory of course who is uh, a, a long time griller uh, a former uh, rugby journalist worked very closely with a number of uh, teams, unions, codes uh, and of course the touring teams like the British Irish Lions, there's not much that Toby doesn't know about rugby so when he sent his predictions through a little earlier on obviously my ears pricked up, should we just go over those predictions from our friend Tobes uh, a little earlier on 
on, yeah. Hope you're listening, Tobes. Uh, my predictions, I have a worrying feeling that we're going to be turned over. Obviously, Toby is a keen uh, England fan. So these are his predictions. Australia to beat England. Ireland to beat New Zealand. Wales to beat France. Japan to draw with South Africa in normal time. Are you sure he was a rugby journalist? <laughs> I actually saw Toby a little bit early on watching the Australian game and he told me the same thing. I guess we all have a bad day. Toby had a bad day. <laughs> There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.